With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 9, Episode 19. This week, I had Kate and Kimberly on from the A Date with Dateline podcast, and we talked about the Dateline episode, A Mystery in Big Sky Country, which was all about the mysterious murder of the young veterinarian who had moved to a small Montana town. His name was Brian Ryan, and uh, his, his case remains a mystery to this day. It was, I think it was an interesting discussion about the case, also a very fun episode to record. And as we've mentioned, these follow-ups get a little tricky for us because we don't have a lot of case details. So we asked for you to ask as many questions as possible on the Facebook fans page, and you guys did not disappoint. We had way more than we can fit into this episode, which we very much appreciate. Uh, But we got some case questions. We've got some random questions, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, I'm joined by Mike, as always. Hey. And uh, Zach is back. We thought he quit, but he is back from his assignment and is back in the studio. Ahoy. Again, with the ahoy. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply. All right, Mike, I know you got a ton of questions for us, so take it away. All right, Bob. Adina says, I found this week's case quite confusing. Was there any expert analysis on the stomach contents in the estimated digestion time? My understanding was that steak could take up to several days. At the same time, there seems to be a time of death or rather time frame that was determined without using scientific methods. It appears that if the time frame could be better set, the suspect would be easier to pinpoint. Uh, well, that's that's true. It would be easier to pinpoint. And there was never there was never a time of death established based on science, nor was there a time of death established at all. No one ever even attempted to figure out the time of death. As we talked about on the show, there was other factors they could have used, rigor mortis, lividity, and none of even insect activity. Um, none of that was done in this case. 
So we really don't know. Regarding the stomach contents, um, I after my conversation with with uh, Kate and Kim, then I saw this question. I actually grabbed, for those of you that are on our Patreon video, you see I'm holding my big, fat, thick book, Medical Legal Investigation of Death by Werner Spitz. Um, and so this is where I get my information. So I'm no expert. I just have books. And so I'm going to read to you real quick what it says about stomach contents. Uh, there's a range of the amount of time. And keep in mind, this is not when we say how long it takes for something to digest. You're not talking about the entire track through your digestive process. What we're looking at in this for time of death uh, and looking at stomach contents, we're only talking about how long it takes for food once you eat it to pass out of your stomach and into your digestive tract. And this is what it says. Light meals are usually present in the stomach for up to one and a half to two hours. Medium meals up to three to four hours and heavy meals four to six hours. So that range, so it goes anywhere from an hour and a half to six hours. The range is there built in. It's a range because it depends on metabolism, uh, temperature, your health, the type of food you're eating. So like the fact that it was steak as opposed to, I don't know, cornflakes, you know, that's built into that range. And so what you have is on the, if you're eating a large meal, which isn't really defined, it does define it in here as, you know, a meal of so many uh, cc's of food, you know, it could take up to six hours. So you have, so we're talking about a steak dinner in, and again, what's a steak dinner? Did he have the, the 10 ounce sizzler steak at the cafe or did he eat a 24 ounce porterhouse and, and how long will it take for that to pass out of the stomach? And also. I think a lot of people when they're in this discussion are thinking of steak in the stomach as, you know, cubes of steak. Remember, it's been chewed up, ground up, and then swallowed as particles. And then it starts breaking down immediately. And I think so if we, if we consider a big steak meal, uh, if you had a large meal of steak, you know, we had a 24-ounce porterhouse at 6 o'clock at night, then by midnight at the latest – that would be completely out of his stomach. As early as 10 p.m., it would be out of the stomach. And that's if it's a large meal. And again, not my expert opinion, just what I get out of this textbook. And so uh, when they were saying it could take nine hours, or I think the listener here said even you know a day to, pa- to pass, that's not accurate, at least according to the knowledge I have, that it should be, if it was a lo- considered a large meal, between four to six hours, it would be moved out. And also within that window, you have um, different levels of how easily you're able to identify it. So the food breaks down in the stomach before it passes out. So what I'm getting at is, so the steak may have still been in his stomach at five and a half hours, but you wouldn't have been able to tell that it's steak. And we've come across this in several other cases when we've examined stomach contents for, for time of death. You know, you'll, you'll hear the terms it was partially digested vegetable material, as we saw in like the West Memphis 3 case with Stevie Branch, or you, you'll have like, you know, uh, uh, partially digested or, or a brown substance, you know, because it, it, it's, it's still in the stomach, but it's broken down so much that the examiner can't identify what it is at that point anymore. So that's a, that, that's, that's a little lesson on stomach contents based 100% on what's in this book that I have sitting in front of me. Uh, And again, I'm not an expert. 
Lauren says, would you be interested in trying to actually solve this case? Also, not a question, but they mentioned the These Are Their Stories podcast. You have to get them on True Crime Binge. They are an amazing podcast duo. Uh, they are definitely on our list. Uh, people were reaching out to um, for True Crime Binge. We, I, we were telling the Patreon people before the show started that we have already six episodes recorded. We've got two or three interviews, three more interviews already arranged, and now we're starting to take suggestions. So if you have suggestions like that, the best thing to do so I can keep track of them is go to our website, truecrimebinge.com, and submit them because then they're all cataloged for me to know which you know what guests you guys want to hear from. As far as trying to solve this case, I you know I can't. Timing why I don't have the resources to get there. Does it intrigue me? Yeah. But then the other part of this is I don't know if it can be solved. I don't think the judge was wrong when he, when it was a weird thing to do. But in the in the trial, told the jury that if any of you die and go to heaven and you see Brian there, ask him who killed him because that's the only way that we're going to find out what happened. It just the the case was messed up from Jump Street when the police came in and cleaned away any forensic evidence and didn't document any of it. Yeah, it it was so mismanaged, but I think it would be nearly impossible to to do anything with at this point. Yeah, and then the other side of that is, what if you do solve it and you find out that uh, that the boyfriend is the one that that killed Brian? Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing, because he's already been tried and acquitted, and it's double jeopardy. You can't try him again. And as I kind of joked on the on the podcast, but it's like he he could literally write a book saying this is how I killed Brian Ryan, mm-hmm. and Nobody could do anything about it other than possibly the, the, you know, like what happened with OJ is the, uh, the, you know, the family could sue him for wrongful death, but criminally nothing. Alexis says the water shoes and timeline confused me. Presumably he had to drive to go fishing. Wouldn't he have brought other shoes to change into rather than drive home in wet, dirty shoes? It also seems strange that there wouldn't be other clues about whether he was coming or going. For example, you think he'd have gear either in his car or in the house and that it'd be clean versus wet or dirty. It, the problem with all this is, again, the lack of documentation, the lack of crime scene investigation, the stuff about whether he'd have gear in a truck or inside. A lot of that's anecdotal or even like, you know, would he get into his shoes with into his truck with wet shoes? A lot of that's anecdotal and we just don't have enough information. So, you know, if if he is is rocking a, you know, 1979 Dodge Ram pickup truck, then I don't think he gives a shit what gets on the floorboard. If he's got himself a, a a brand new leather seat, nice truck, then I think he probably would care if he got into it with wet shoes. The other thing is we don't necessarily know that that's what he was doing. He could have just thrown them on to let the dog out. Right. Or maybe that's what he wears as like house slippers. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is we don't like it's very it's it's so weird. So season 10 uh, that's coming next Sunday. Similar. I, I don't want to give too much away. Similar situation with footwear. Eerily similar situation with footwear. But yeah, so you, you've got one shoe outside and there's drops of blood on the porch and then he's still wearing one. There's so many different ways to break that down. Like this is a case. A lot of these I get into. I'm like, God, I wish I had the, all the crimes. I wish I had the file and the crime scene photos because I love one of the things I love doing is reconstructing crime scenes. And it's like, so did he get knocked out of his shoe like during a struggle? That seems you, you remember water shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they still a thing, by the way? Yeah, my kids have a pair. Your, your brother wears them. Brent, Brent wears water shoes, <laughs> doesn't he? I probably when he's fishing. Actually, I don't know because he's my brother is uh is definitely but and, and that's kind of what I was thinking about. Not necessarily my brother, but but I was thinking like like my brother. I mentioned that you know some days if I'm out fly fishing 
and it's hot in the summertime. Well, I don't want to wear waders. You don't need waders. You're not cold. So I, I have, and I mentioned that I wear like creek boots. Well, there's something I have waders that are, uh, this is probably too much information, but I'll share with you anyway. Uh, I, I have waders that are like Teflon and they just, and all they have at the bottom of them is like neoprene socks almost. And then you put what's called a creek boot over that, which is, it's, it's a, it's a rubber boot that it's submersible and the bottom of it has like a quarter inch of felt on it. And they're made to, so when you don't, they're made to give you some grip when you're, and when you're walking across slippery rocks in the water. And so I have definitely gone fishing many times and wore just my creek boots and not my waders. But as, as my, and I didn't, you're, you're right. My brother is, uh, he's well, he's not nearly as sophisticated as me. Let's be honest. He doesn't, first of all, my brother would call them crick boots. Uh, and, and so, I, I love Brent. I do too. <laughs> but second of all, he for sure, I think you're right. He does. He'll, he'll do that in the summertime. He'll fish with, uh, with just water shoes. Right, because of the rocky bottom river. Right. That he doesn't want to cut his feet on. It makes sense. Yeah, and he doesn't want to wear waders. Well, and I've seen a lot of people use them for kayaking or for for paddle boarding, any of that stuff, too. Right. So, again, you have the, was he he on his way out to go somewhere? There was a fishing pole that was sitting there on the porch, but the same thing. What kind of pole was it? That would tell me, like, like, well, and I said it on the podcast, we'll, we'll move on, but, you know, it was like I said, if it was, you know, Mike, we've done, you know, catfishing at night where you got a big, heavy lead weight and heavy spinning tackle and you know that sure maybe he's going out at night i've i've never even i'm sure people do it but i've never known anybody to fly fish at night because it relies on sight too much you got to watch what's happening you can't feel it and so unlikely he would be going fly fishing at night so there's just there's just too many unknowns but it just it's very intriguing to me the one shoe on one shoe off thing it kind of helps you track where the attack started and where it finished and it tells you Remember, this is a gunshot wound. This, this, this is not a fist fight. It's gun, which means the blood on the porch tells you he was shot outside. And I think that's more telling than anything else. It wasn't somebody in his house that shot him. And it's one of the reasons that I think his, his friend, the other suspect, is less likely. I think that person goes inside the house. They're having a conversation. Something breaks bad and he shoots him. The fact that he's standing on it, and we didn't talk about this on the show, but the fact that he's standing on the front porch outside when he is shot, at least the first time, tells me it's somebody that he either didn't know or that didn't didn't want in his house. Someone who who couldn't who didn't who couldn't have a ruse enough to get inside the house before they did this, that it happened outside on the porch. He 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 didn't open the door and say, Come on in. He went out and met out met them outside before this happened. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lana says, will this case, the Big Sky case, ever be reopened because of all the blatant and apparent mistakes made by everyone involved? Well, it is open. I mean, technically, I mean, because, you know, well, they closed it with the arrest and then they got an acquittal, which means technically it's still open. Will anything ever happen with it? It's been a long time already. And I would say for the reasons we mentioned earlier with the, you know, there's no evidence and no, uh, no witnesses and they don't know when he was killed. And they already tried somebody and and had an acquittal. I just I think it's done. I think it's going to remain a cold case. Brian says, listening to the episode about Brian Ryan, it was interesting that the police automatically thought it was a suicide because of how the scene was set up. Wouldn't it be normal protocol to check Brian's hand for gunpowder residue or reconstruct how he might have shot himself in the chest and shoulder? The jealous ex-boyfriend seems a little more suspicious than the friend who may have wanted more medication. Yeah, well, I definitely agree on that. As far as the standard protocol, so, so you got a couple things working against you here. One, I mean, this literally happened in Mayberry. I mean, it's a town of 300 people. Uh, and so if you, know, if you have three cops and like 1% of your population are all cops, they don't do homicides. They don't do crime scenes like this. Everyone knows everyone. And the fact, I, I think what worked against them is these are people that are not at all in any way trained to investigate a homicide, number one. You know, they might have had some training in the police academy 20 years ago, but they have never done it. And, and number two, the fact that it was called in as a suicide. You know, I, I, and so, yeah, they, should they have checked the, you know, for gunpowder residue? Should they have checked the, uh, checked the injuries? Sure. Yes. At 100%. Yes. But I think that it was called in as a suicide. So they are responding to a suicide. They show up and they see the bloody man on the ground. And I think the 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 blood from his chest wound, probably you know the, the blood that was on his arm, you know they, they probably didn't distinguish that as two different injuries, uh, especially if you know he's clothed. And they see him on the ground, bloody, with a gun laying right next to him. They were told it was a suicide. I think it was just literally they. You know, I, I've had situations like this in the fire department when I was you know investigating arsons, you know where I messed up or I, I where I took I took the word of the people who called in the fire as gospel and almost screwed up one time and, and missed the fact that it was. And I, I, I ended up getting back and we ended up convicting the woman. Um, but, you know, somebody calls in and says, you know, my apartment's on fire. There was a blanket on the heater and it caught the house on fire. And I go look and I can see, well, there's a blanket, there's a heater. Yep. And so I didn't do what I normally do because I assumed what they were telling me was accurate. And then later found out that the woman had, you know, had seven other apartments that had caught fire um, like that in the past. And then long, long story. But um, so I, I what I'm getting at is I can see it, it's 100 percent wrong. It's 100 percent incompetence, but I can 100 percent see how it happened. They just weren't prepared to do it. They assumed it was a suicide. They probably didn't even check the end. They probably checked him for a pulse, realized he was dead. He'd been down long enough. He would have been cold to the touch, stiff. I mean, there, it would have been very obvious that he was dead. And so then they they turn to, well, let's, you know, for the family's sake, for the landlord's sake, let's just try to help, you know, get this, get this cleaned up, get him out of here and get the house cleaned up quickly as possible, not realizing that there was a crime committed that they need to be investigating. Lori says, here's my question regarding the West Memphis Three. Let's say we vacuum the DNA. It points to someone who lives with one of the boys. Couldn't the defense be, yeah, I've tied the kid's shoes in the past. And wouldn't there be several people's DNA on those laces? I'm worried nothing would come of the vacuum DNA test on the laces and ligatures. 
so there there has to be an investigation here, right? So there's not like if this then that. There you, you have to look at the entirety of what you find. So for example, we have you know there was two shoelaces on each kid binding them. So you've got six sets of laces. That's twelve knots. A couple of them have already been DNA tested, but but most of them still remain intact, tied, and are, will a, we will be able to take them apart and and do MBAC testing for DNA. Now, so let's say yes, there's going to be a mix of DNA. The kids most certainly will have their DNA on the on the laces, and you know maybe a parent that's helped them tie their shoes before will have DNA on the laces. There should be you would think more. From the just because over time they get you know DNA gets wore off through you know wearing of the shoes around before they were collected as evidence, um, so there'd be less skin cells from people that had maybe tied the shoes a long time ago. Um, so knowing that you know one parent, let's say let's say you find Pam Hicks DNA on Stevie's laces. Well, does that mean Pam Hicks is the killer? No, because you can explain why Pam Hicks DNA would be in the knot of Stevie's laces. But let's say you have Pam Hicks DNA inside Stevie's laces, Christopher's laces, and Michael's laces. Now that's, and I'm using her because obviously we know where she was at. She didn't do it. So without getting in any arguments here. Well, now you've got a problem. How is your DNA inside the knots of all three laces? Now, if we're talking about Pam, there could even be an argument with that. Well, Michael came by to get Stevie. And saw Pam. And then Chris went to the house and sat with Amanda. So he was in the house. So maybe somehow during that, Pam, she could make a defense that, well, yeah, Michael's shoe was untied when he was there, so I tied it for him. And then uh, Chris also, also needed help tying his shoes when he left. So she could make that argument. Now, let's say Terry Hobbs' DNA was found on Stevie's shoelaces. Again, same art. He lives with him. Maybe he helped tie his shoes. Maybe he handled the shoes. That makes sense. But now if you find Terry Hobbs skin cells on Michael Moore's laces, now you've got a problem. If you have Terry Hobbs DNA on Michael Moore's laces and Christopher Byers laces and Stevie Branch's laces, you've got a big, big problem. There, there's no So it all depends on what you find. Is there an explanation for it? That's innocent, or and if there's not, then you very likely have your killer. And this, so we we've already most people that know the case know that there was already a hair found in one of those knots. That the DNA testing for that came back at, that could not rule out Terry Hobbs. It was not a they didn't have enough DNA on the root to be able to you know to, to be able to do that. You know, where we well, in our layman language would say this is a match. And really what that means is there is a one in 19 trillion chance that this belongs, to, this DNA belongs to this person. It was more like a one in, you know, I don't remember the numbers, you know, one in a thousand chance that it was hit. But he, he couldn't be eliminated from it. So you can't say that was Terry Hobbs' hair. It was very likely his hair uh, that was in the lace, in the knot. But you can't say cert for sure it was him. But even with the hair... You had all three boys throughout the course of that day had all been to Stevie's house. And so you is now the fact that it's tied up in the lace is a hard argument to make, but it's at least an argument like, well, my hair is floating around all over my house. So it could have got picked up and transfer. I personally don't buy that, but you know, that's an argument. 
But now if you're talking about your skin cells are wrapped up into the knot on the inside of the knots of these laces that you're not going to get around. All right. While we're still on the West Memphis three, Miriam says, can you tell us if Damien, Jason and Jesse plan on actively pursuing the DNA testing of the evidence after their probation is over in August 2021? What course of action are they able to take in this case? What can be done to move forward? Thanks. Well, I mean, they are actively doing, I mean, not Jesse. Jesse has, you know, given his permission to do it, which honestly we don't, you don't have to have in the route that we've gone because, you know, the, the, the prosecutor, the DA has the option to test any evidence they want at any time. He doesn't have to ask them. He doesn't need anybody's permission. He can just send it out to be tested. Um, but we did, you know, get Jesse's you know, so that when we presented this to Ellington, we, we have Jesse on record that he's okay with the testing. Jason has as as approved of the testing is working with his attorney. Damien is the one that in this case has pushed the most. Um, so so this a little more background of what I shared with you last week. You know this when the TV show came out, all the pressure started coming on. I spoke with um, Damien and Damien's attorney, and we determined that this was the time. Let's file since Ellington will not respond to us. We're going to file you know on behalf of Damien file a court order to do this MBAC testing, basically get a judge to rule to allow them to test the evidence. And then once they contacted Ellington, that's when he said, you don't need to do that. I'll agree. You know, if you get these people, basically, if you get these people, leave me the hell alone, I'll agree to just send it off and be tested. And so there was no court order there because as far as we knew, it was already going. And then, of course, you know the story from there that, you know, after six months, he just disappeared. Um, I do want to mention too, as far as some people were asking, like I'm ready to start writing letters to the new DA. Don't do that yet. Let's wait and see. You know, we we are still working actively on this. There are people reaching out to him um, on the legal front. Um, so let let's not let's not make a villain out of the new DA just yet. Let's see if he's going to do the right thing because he very well may say, "Oh yeah, I don't know why this hasn't been done yet," and send it off. Um, if that's the case, great. Uh, he's the hero of the story. Um, if not, then we'll, then, then we need to start pushing back and then likely there will be a court order put before a judge. Oh, and, and lastly, I want to add for those, I know like this has brought up the new, you know, re, we brought up all the arguments and the sides, the nons and the supporters. Um, there's something that I think that in what I just said that everybody should be thinking about throughout the course of me filming that TV show. We went to every single person directly connected to the case, every person who was a suspect in this case, and explained to them what MBAC DNA testing is, the high probability that it could solve the case and prove with no question who killed those boys. Out of everyone we spoke to, Jesse said, yes, do it. Jason said, yes, do it. Damien said not only said yes do it but is the one that is fighting the hardest right now it's it's Damien and his attorneys who are fighting like hell to get this DNA tested David Jacoby gave DNA and said 100% test this evidence to prove his innocence there's only one person that we have spoken to connected to the case that doesn't want the DNA tested that has actively tried to stop it from being tested and has pushed for it not to be tested. Now, that's not the part that I want to get into. Y'all know who I'm talking about. More importantly, 
those of you that are the air quote nons that believe the West Memphis three are guilty, does it even click in your mind a little bit that the person that you are 100% convinced is the killer of three, these three boys is the one pushing the hardest to get the DNA testing, to send the evidence off, to find the skin cells. Have you thought about that? And, and I don't understand how that maybe doesn't make you question what you believe. Well, why wouldn't you want it done? If, even if you are a nun, you would want to push for it because right. it can confirm what you believe. Right. For sure. Like, and I'm not even talking about that maybe they don't want it done, but I, I don't see how it doesn't make them rethink how horrible – because you, you think about it, you, you You've seen the ugliness online about mm-hmm. this case. and Damien's a horrible child killer and da-da-da-da-da-da, all these things about him, right? Not just I think he's guilty, but everything about him because they're sure he's guilty. And I don't know how you can then look and see him fighting with everything he's got now, years and years later, begging and pleading and pushing to do this testing. How that can't make you at least go, huh, well, maybe he's not guilty then. I'm not saying that it has convinced you, but to at least think maybe he's not guilty. Why in the world? Would he be wanting this test? He's already out of prison. He could never do another thing and just live his life. But it's him pushing for the evidence to be tested. How you can look at that and not not for a second question the fact that you think he's so guilty. Katie says, which case that you have covered on truth and justice bothers you the most, whether due to the nature of the crime or factors making it seem unsolvable? You know, I I knew that. I saw that question and I've been thinking about it ever since. And I, I don't know how to prioritize it. I The thing, what frustrates me the most about cases are the ones that we're just so close on. You know, I, I believe the murder of Heyman Lee is so solvable and the answer is right in front of us. And, and, we, and we've taken it between our work and, and the work of the Undisclosed team. We've taken that case right to the edge where all it would take is for law enforcement to step in and issue some subpoenas uh, for some information, and we'd have it solved, and and that and it kills you. And then, but the same is true of of the murder of Elnora Griffin, Ed's case. You know, we got Ed out. You know, we 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 got we got a big win there. He's still not exonerated, and Elnora's killer is still not in prison. And we are there. We, I, in my opinion, know who killed Elnora Griffin. I, I, I'm, I am, I am in my own mind. And again, I could be wrong. It's my opinion, but I feel like I know who killed her, when they killed her and how they killed her and the, and the, and the, and the string of events that led up to it. And in that case, we're waiting on, you know, we're waiting on fingerprints from the FBI. I mean, how stupid where there's a fingerprint card sitting in Quantico that will solve this case. And it's just sitting there and it's been years now. And it, it and it's frustrating. Jesse's case is more is more difficult. Of, of course, that's another one that bothers me. But it's I don't think we're as close to solving that. I think we've got an idea of who at least knows who killed Kialgov. Maybe not necessarily who did, but his case. You know, he's he's sitting there. The one piece of evidence against him, Troy has recanted, and he's still sitting there. We're waiting. So the, those frustrate me a lot. You know, and that that's for all of them. But those those two. And the West Memphis Three case, I think, of the cases we've done, bother me the most because I know we're so close. All of the cases bother me. Sandy Melgar's case, 
Jamie Snow's case, all of them, all all of them, I think about every single day. But those cases, uh, Heyman Lee's murder, Elnora Griffin's murder, and Stevie Michael and Christopher's murders, those three bother me the most because we're so close. We're in all three cases. We have taken the investigation as far as it can go to the point where it seems obvious who did it and justice could be served and we're being held up by the people who are supposed to be the ones delivering the fucking justice. Sarah says, has there been a case another podcast has covered that you wish you had found first? I often listen to podcasts and think, damn, I wish I thought of this. Delphi. 100% Delphi. Um, which is, I don't know if I've announced. I think I've said this already. But this week's guest on Sunday, the, the finale episode of Truth Season 9 of Truth and Justice is Barb and Drew from the Down the Hill podcast talking about Delphi. Um, also, a little sneak peek at True Crime Binge. Uh, I interview Nick from True Crime Garage, also about Delphi, and it just, I, I can't, the case, I'm obsessed with the case. Nick is also obsessed with the case. We actually uh, plan a trip. We're going to meet in Delphi and go walk the crime scene. But it's it's not a, I wish I had thought of it first so I could make a cool podcast. It's I wish I had, I wish, I wish no other content creators had covered the material already because Down the Hill did a fantastic job. I mean, an, an amazing job. If you're looking for whatever to binge before Sunday's episode, check out Down the Hill. It's because the ground's already been covered. I don't have, I don't have free time, you know, with the, uh, with truth and justice and true crime binge and a family. I just, I don't have time to just on my free time go investigate a case. But if no one had covered it and I, and I, you know, I went to Mike and said, "Hey, how about you produce, uh, help me produce a podcast, not a Truth and Justice, but where we investigate the Delphi murders." That would give me the opportunity to, for work, go and work that case hard and dig into it really hard. You know, because it would st- still be for work, but because it's already been covered so much, there's just not. I, I'd be just treading back over the same ground that's already been covered. Uh, and so I can't do it. So that one, I mean, there's more, believe me, there's plenty more, but that's definitely the one right now that is just, it, that, that weighs heavy on my mind. I keep, and you guys know, I mean, how many times in the last month have we out in the office, have I been going off about this case? Yeah. We've had multiple discussions. We, I think we had an hour long discussion last time I was here. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that one is, it's, it's frustrating. It's a case I, I, I want to see solved. And and in the investigator in me, it's not even the podcaster that, like I said, that's just because it's work. So that gives me an excuse to do it. But the investigator in me is just dying inside that it's similar to the last question that that case is so close to being solved and still no justice. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Erica says, for your typical cases, how many man hours do you spend in the field interviewing and investigating? And how many hours go into writing, recording, and editing? What's the ratio, basically? It's it's hard to put a ratio on it. Uh, it's a good question because I think a lot of people you will know, we, we'll get a lot of times like, why don't you guys put out two episodes a week? Yeah. And it's, it's impossible. 
I mean, yeah, it, um, as much as we're very blessed to be doing what we're doing, it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. And a lot of hours. I mean, typically just on the production side, an episode of truth, not season nine, but a normal, like what you'll be listening to next week, even when season 10 launches, uh, a normal episode of truth and justice, just production. And that's, um, research, me writing the script, recording, Mike editing, usually the two of us together, then mixing and then, uh, sending off to Shane for music and then reviewing and then publishing. That is a 40 hour week for one episode. And that's in, in man hours, you know, you, you know, that's both of us doing it. Not all, you know, for Mike's part, what, what, what is say, say a 45 minute episode of truth and justice for a main episode? What, how much time do you think you put into editing? Anywhere from two to four hours. Right. Just in the editing. That's before mixing, which when we say mixing, we're talking about on top of that. So then the other elements of that. So say season 10, I was, I, I was out in the field a couple of weeks ago recording interviews for season 10. So I recorded, I don't know what, five hours of interviews. Yeah, that's with, about right. With a bunch of different people. So that process looks like those raw interviews then go to Mike and Mike edits those. Not for content, but for sound quality, you know, so cleans out all the background noises and, and, and edits those completely. It's just like a podcast episode and then puts them in a file. And then we go through. So when you're here in the podcast and I'm talking about something and then you hear a three minute clip of someone saying something that came out of probably an hour and a half interview. And so we have to index and go back through those interviews and fi- find those pieces and so we have to edit those first and pick the clips we're going to use, storyboard the whole thing, figure out where they're going to be, then write them into a script, and then drop those back in. Um, so I, I don't know what the exact ratio is, but I'll tell you, we haven't written episode one yet, and I would say we have two to 300 man hours already into season 10, and we haven't written a single word of script yet. I think I think some people just genuinely are like, they just, it, that was an hour episode. It took them an hour. Like, what the hell? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's all they did? They did an hour. Oh, we get we get that a lot. Like, we we have a lot of times where people will say, you know, like, why can't you do two a week? It's only an hour. Yeah. I think <laughs> a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people get it confused too. Like, so, and it's probably with your job too, the fantasy of being a podcaster or the fantasy of being a tattoo artist, mm-hmm. it's all fun and rainbows and unicorns, but in reality, it's actually- It's work. Work. It's just, it's like any other job. You do the same thing over and over and over again. It's any job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the only difference with, with content creation is that we get new. I like the artistic nature of creating those main episodes. True. And I've been missing that a lot yeah. during season nine is, uh, is, is taking the topic that we want to talk about that day and then assembling the information that we want to put out and then crafting that into a story that People want to live everything from the writing to the mixing and music to take that and create this thing that people listen to and actually get the information and enjoy listening to it. I've been missing doing that. But yeah, it's when you do, I I say that having not done that in the last five months. If you ask me two months from now, I'm like, I write another fucking script this week. God, every week. Katie says, if you could interview any non true crime related celebrity, who would you pick? Mm, I'm going to throw that to you guys first. Uh, Mike, you look like you got somebody in mind. Me? <laughs> if you could interview anybody, not true crime, any celebrity, who would it be? Oh, uh, come on. Uh, 
Well, my list is really big. Uh, I guess I'd have to ask Martin Scorsese, the director. Really? Yeah. It, it, and so is it because of his work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, like he's just he's just really the person that came to mind right now. There's a million. I'm into like the arts. So there's a million performers and directors, filmmakers that I would like to interview. Oh, that makes it. It's, it's inter- interesting because for me, when I think about the question, I'm thinking about what celebrities would I just like to hang out with and, I get, see. To, and get to know. That's just for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I come from a point of like wanting to learn about like their mastering of their craft type stuff. Yeah, I want to know what their home life. <laughs> Zach, you want to have a beer with them? That's right, exactly right. Zach, I, I, I have a guess since you have now unzipped your hoodie and have displayed your T-shirt. Who is it that you would like to interview? Absolutely, Dennis Rodman. It's so that's so easy. That dude has lived such an amazing life. First yeah. of all, he's he's people really underestimate his his basketball career like, uh-huh. because of all the antics. Right. But he was a phenomenal basketball player. He's a Hall of Fame basketball player that right. people push aside. But the guy has lived just an, an outlandish life. I mean, his life, everything he has done is just to the extreme. Didn't he like go to North Korea and Yeah, he befriended <laughs> Kim a, a dictator. Yeah. Like he he was tag team champions with Hulk Hogan in wrestling. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. he's done everything. He he married or he married Carmen Electra. He dated Madonna. Like he's done everything. Like, why would you not want to talk to this and guy? Just hear the stories. Yeah. He was in a JCVD movie. Absolutely he was. <laughs> J- that John Claude uh, Van Damme. Uh, yeah. It was called Double Team, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Double Team, right? Yeah. What a play on words. Uh-huh. The guy was amazing. That He's w- amazing. That would be cool. Mine's more mine are more simple than that. I like um there's a couple one I'll do a, a male and a female. An actress that I would love to interview uh would be Anna Kendrick, I think. I love I love her work. I think she's cute as a button. And like I've read her book and she just seems like her personality just seems really cool. She seems like very fun, kind of awkward and humble. She just seems like she would be a fun person to sit down and have a beer with. Did you read her book or did you listen to her book? When I say read, assume I always mean I listen. Okay. Because we listen to her book and it's cool because she reads it. Yeah, yeah. So is it did you like it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. After I after I listened, read her book. I was like, man, it would be, she would be someone I would love to sit down and have drinks with and shoot the shit. And the other one is for anybody that knows me uh, is, is obvious is Steve Rinella, hundred percent who is, uh, he's the host of the mediator podcast, the mediator TV show. He's done a bunch of other, uh, other, uh, um, stuff on TV and stuff too. He's, he's a big outdoorsman hunting guy, but it's just every time I, I listen to his podcast and it's because like, I think every time, like I could hang out with this guy, like, he and I could be best friends, and we could sit down and have drinks together and shoot the shit. Uh, and so I would love to get him uh, to interview him. Ashley says, will there be weekly follow-up episodes for a True Crime Binge? If so, would you consider bringing that podcaster on for those follow-ups if their schedule allows? As of right now, there will not be follow-ups for True Crime Binge. Um, it, well, when I, we've said on here, they're, they're tough to do, um, this format anyway are tough to do because, you know, there's not a lot of case content for us to discuss. Don't really have plans to do anything like that. Uh, and a big reason is it's, it's a scheduling nightmare. It's We're already dealing with schedules to get the interviews to begin with. If I have to then get somebody to come back again um, to do a follow-up, that would just be impossible most of the time. I do have a friend who, I, well, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of you know her. She's uh, she's kind of, She's the voice of Cora. Uh, if any of you have kids that watch Cora, um, and she has a great podcast called the JV Club, my friend uh, Janet Barney 
she she has been talking to me about you know saying that we should we should have four true crime binge like a patreon bonus episode where her and i chat about the cases um thinking about that but again it's it's more production more work um but but we may do something like that but there definitely won't be a format like this uh where we're you know like just straight up answering a whole bunch of questions we just we just don't have the the bandwidth for it all right our last question comes from ellen Hi, I listened to the latest episode of Jensen and Holes, The Murder Squad, and Paul Holes said the most wonderful thing. He said coincidences do happen, and he talked about the dangers of not acknowledging that. I have thought about this so many times when Bob and Zach have said I don't believe in coincidences. Please address the issue of people and juries need to make things make sense. Paul Holes had three suspects for the Golden State Killer, and D'Angelo was not on top of that list. Paul Holes was the last person I expected to address this. I have newfound respect for him. I find it extremely problematic that people have such a need for a narrative that makes sense that they are willing to ignore facts. Please acknowledge that coincidences do exist. Well, let me jump on this first, because whatever you're going to say is going to be way more eloquent than what I have to say. Okay. (laughs) Of course they exist. You can't say coincidences don't exist. Right. When I've said it in the past, it's when they compile. It's when coincidences start to compile. They're like, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Well, how can they all be coincidences? Right. Well, and, and to, to your first point, when we say coincidences don't exist, that, that's hyperbole. We're not, we're not literally saying there's no such thing as coincidences. Yeah. I mean, or there wouldn't be a term for it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but of course they exist. But I think when I've said that they don't is, is like I said, it's when, it's when there's a case where these coincidences extrapolate, and they just keep coming and coming and coming. And you're like, at a certain point, it's no longer a coincidence that this happened right well and that's and i and i guess i look at it like that a little differently it's when there are a bunch of things a bunch of facts that indicates so let me give you an example season two ed's case elnora we were just talking about so elnora was murdered on a thursday night she's found naked on the floor there's semen on the bed very clearly from the crime scene, you can see that the struggle started in the bedroom and worked its way out to the living room where her throat was slit. Now, her boyfriend, Leonard Mosley, is known to and admits to that he goes to her house to have sex every Thursday night. Now, he says that one Thursday he didn't go. But so you have all those elements I just mentioned. You have her boyfriend who says that he goes to her house every Thursday night she cooks him dinner, and they have sex, and he stays there. And she's found naked on a Thursday night with semen on the bed. DNA testing shows the semen is Leonard Mosley's. And that was from later. You know, at trial, they knew it was his blood type. Later testing that we funded and did, we know 100% it's Leonard Mosley's semen on the bed, which was explained away at trial. Oh, it could be years old. Who knows? Well, it's not. It's, you can see it. So, And then you look at Elnora's victimology. and. She, the only risk factor in her life is the fact that she's, she's caught up in a love triangle that she's, she's dating Leonard who also has Angela Walker, his, his, uh, baby mama that lives with him. And we find out through our investigation that there's, we have evidence that they have communicated that, that Leonard and, or that Elnora and Angela spoke about right before this about what was going on and they were both pissed. So those are all facts. 
And when I say I don't believe in coincidences, what I mean is what you would for you to look at all that and say, no, Leonard didn't have anything to do with this would mean that you're saying all of that is a coincidence. It's none of that. None of those facts mean he's the killer. That's all a coincidence. To your point, Zach, it's when it's stacking up. Now, again, when I say that, that doesn't mean, well, there's there's several items of evidence that point to him. I don't believe those are a coincidence. And so let's convict him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he needs to not be eliminated. We need to dig deeper. We need to investigate further to see if he's the one who did it. But what happens is, and when I'm talking about those coincidences, it usually parallels when law enforcement puts blinders on. In Ed's case, the entire case against Ed is that Kubia Jackson says that uh, Elnora told her, I'm sitting here talking to Edward. And so police are like, well, she was talking to Edward. Edward must be the last one that she saw. Edward's the guy. And so they took all that information about, about Leonard and said, that must be a coincidence because we know it was Ed. So that's what I mean when I say, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe you explain things away as a coincidence. Everything needs to be investigated. That's what I mean when I say I don't believe in coincidences, that everything should be looked at as a fact. Uh, and I don't disagree with Paul Holes at all. I love Paul, and Paul's a great investigator. But when you look at the, the, yeah, he had three other suspects. But what I'm talking about with coincidences maybe is different from the way he's describing it. So look at Joseph D'Angelo. When you finally investigate D'Angelo, you find out that he lived in all three of these areas. You know, if you track his movements, his travel, the fact that a victim says that that he said Bonnie's name uh, during one of the attacks, and we find out that he used to be engaged to someone named Bonnie. So, so when I'm saying you, I don't believe in coincidences. It would be once you have those facts and say, oh, let me see. Every time there was a string of these rapes and homicides, this guy happened to live there. And, you know, all the other evidence they have against him, he was, you know, the one victim says he's screaming Bonnie and and this guy's got an ex named Bonnie. What I'm saying is I don't believe you could look at those facts and say, well, those are probably coincidences. The difference would be if Paul said, well, nope, I'm trying to articulate this right and to put into context. But it would be like if Paul said, I have these three suspects and I'm sure it's one of those three. And then this information comes out about Joseph D'Angelo, and he says, no, that has to be a coincidence because I know it's one of those three. That's what I mean when I say I don't believe in coincidences because you can't do that. And Paul didn't do that. So I think it's just a con- when, when he's saying that, he's not talking about the same thing that I'm talking about. That's what I mean is that you can't explain away stuff, explain away facts and evidence as a coincidence. Because you think it must be someone else. And with that being said, uh, we are quickly approaching the end of season nine. As I already mentioned, make sure you tune in on Sunday. Really cool episode with Barb and Drew from the Down the Hill podcast where we cover the Delphi murders in depth. Uh, and again, you're going to get more of that on True Crime Binge when I have Nick on from True Crime Garage talking about it. And speaking of True Crime Binge, we're just days away. Next Wednesday, February 3rd. So before you hear another follow-up episode, so I want you all to think about this right now. After Sunday's episode of Truth and Justice, and you're thinking, man, now I have to wait till Friday before I get the follow-up. While you're waiting, please do us a favor and go check out 
True Crime Binge. Subscribe to the podcast. Maybe leave us a little review. That would help us out a whole lot. And and for doing that, what I have to offer you is what I think is a fantastic interview. Our first guest, episode one of True Crime Binge, is got to be, I would say, my favorite interview that I've done since we started doing this. And it is an interview with Payne Lindsay, the host and creator of the Up and Vanish podcast. We talk about the podcast production. We talk about uh, you know how Payne came to be what he is today. We even get into the beef that he had with a lot of other true crime podcasters back a few years ago. We covered all in depth. Really cool conversation. That's episode one of True Crime Binge. It launches next Wednesday at 6 a.m. In the meantime, please go on over there. Again, the trailer's already up. You can give the trailer a listen. I don't even care if you listen to the trailer. Just go to the podcast feed. Get subscribed so you're ready. And we really would appreciate a review. And with that being said, we will talk to you guys one more time on Season 9 next Friday. Thank you guys so much for listening. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. 
That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Thank you.